raised in a completely secular home. Uh, I got saved 20 years ago at the age of 34 years old. Uh, God saved me out of uh, just a life of sin, bottom line. I mean, I was just like everybody else I knew. I didn't know any different. And, uh, but God had grace and mercy and love. And uh, he reached down and did work that uh, I never in my wildest dreams as a child ever would have dreamed this is what I would do <laughs> and get to do. It's incredible, but, uh, but God had a plan. So last week we were in, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a review to make sure that we're all up to date. We're in the book of Joshua. This has been a study that we're, all, that we're doing called a, um, a Life Live for God. And Joshua has just been an incredible study. Last week we finished Joshua chapter number 5. And in that, those verses we were in, which was verses 13 through 15, what we saw in that time was this, this kind of this messenger showed up that everybody was like, ooh, who's this guy, right? So the Israelites have tasted of the land, right? They've tasted of the land. They're no longer dependent upon God for the man. And now that they've tasted the land, they understand what's so valuable about it. Now they're willing to say, you know, let's fight for what we've got. And while they're enjoying this moment, Joshua looks off to the side and sees this, this man. We called him the messenger. And we noticed three things or four things about this messenger. First we saw was his mystery, then his loyalty, then his majesty, and then his identity. Now we looked at the mystery that was surrounding this man, and we were like, well, there's something going on. One of the things we immediately found was the fact that he shows up in other portions of Scripture. One time he shows 427 years later and looks basically exactly the same. And what we realized is there was a, there was a miraculous or a supernatural aspect of this person. And the fact that he was holding this sword, what was that sword representative of? And what we know about a sword is a sword is a representation of judgment. And what we saw is this man is a representation of judgment that was going to be brought upon people in Canaan. And we know that's those that are going to be subservient to God, those that will give their hearts to God, and those that would be rebellious. That's going to be... Canaanites for sure, but guess what? Also, also Israelites. Then we looked at his loyalty. And one of the things we found out about his loyalties, Joshua asks him this question. He's like, basically, hey, are you friend or foe? Whose side are you on? And he says, nay, no. He's, he's, he doesn't give an answer that makes any sense. It doesn't fit because what happens is Joshua's asking the wrong question. The question isn't if he's loyal to them. The question is, are they loyal to God? And that's what it's, the whole thing is. His loyalty is for the Lord. Then we see the majesty. And the majesty, what we saw was the fact when, when Joshua had this confrontation with this man, and as he started speaking, Joshua falls on his face. He falls on his face and literally worships him right there before him. And what we saw is the fact that that's the natural posture. People that are submitted to God, those that want to serve God, guess what they do? They fall on their face over and over and over in Scripture. Every time someone comes against God, comes to God, and they submit to him, what they'll do is they fall forward. But you'll find those that oppose him throughout Scripture... They always fall back. They always fall back. So we saw this beautiful posture of submission with Joshua. So here's where things are. And then what we heard was he said, hey, take off the shoes off your feet because guess what? Where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua's like, whoa, okay. And he immediately responds. But what's interesting about that, and we correlated that to Moses, Moses' very first interaction with the burning bush, right? Now, the physical manifestation of God, when, when God shows up on earth, Colossians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that Jesus is the embodiment, the physical embodiment of God. So when he shows up as a burning bush, that's Jesus. And so he takes off his shoes and his feet and he stands before him. That's a picture of the Lord Christ, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find here is it's exactly the same wording that he's told. So we look at it and we took all the evidence of everything that we saw. The sword, right? The Bible in Revelations talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? We see the sword that comes out of the Lord's mouth. So Jesus brings judgment upon the world through the sword, which is the word. The Bible says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that sword is represented in the word. Then we saw also the fact that he was this man of the, he saw called himself the captain of the hosts. And like the, and we find in scripture, Jesus shows up as four, like 243 different times as the Lord of hosts. 
Then we saw the aspect of the, the fact that he was willing to worship him and receive the worship. What we know is no heavenly being will receive worship except for God. They all go, oh, don't worship me. And whenever Joshua falls at his feet, he doesn't tell him not to worship. He receives the worship, telling us again that this is God. And then the last thing is the fact that where he stands is in fact holy ground. So we found this beautiful picture of this messenger who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have his identity proven for us. But what's cool is we look at that aspect of what Joshua reveals to us through his submission. And what we find in scripture and what we find in our lives is that's the, that's the posture and the attitude of those who have victory in the Christian walk. It's a matter of being humble before the Lord, being submitted before the Lord. So this submission, right, that's displayed here in Joshua is then also we've got, so we've got him submitted, ready to lead. And then you've got the Israelites. They're ready to go to war. They're ready to fight for God. They're ready to do what God's asked them to do. And what we're going to find in chapter 6, which is where we are today, is the fact that now the messenger is going to speak. And he's going to give the battle plan of what's to take place. And that's the message today. It's called God's battle plan. Let's pray, and we'll jump right into it. Thank you, Lord, for that word. I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, Lord, what it is you've shown me, I have prayed diligently over the scripture. Lord, and I have asked you, Father, to give me insight, to give me wisdom. And Lord, through the word, you have shown me uh, some things today, Lord, that I do pray that you'll help me to communicate. Uh, Lord, I know my stumbling tongue is going to want to get in the way. My flesh can easily uh, impair and, and, and hinder this message. But I'm going to ask you, Lord, to remove the human element from this message. God, completely remove me if you can, please. My prayer, God, and my request is that, Lord, you would speak to me and speak through me. Lord, that uh, we might hear from you. Lord, I want to be an audience to the word of God. Lord, I do pray that you'll speak to us. Lord, grip our hearts so we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall, come, shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Okay? Now, what we need to keep in mind is a good reminder for us is the fact that the Old Testament is the picture book for us. Okay? New Testament is concepts and, and, and ideas, scriptural understanding. The Old Testament is a picture book. So we're going to see physical representation, historical representation of things that it helps us to picture and understand the concept that God's trying to teach us. So what we know is in Scripture, the Israelite is a picture of the individual believer. Okay? So when we're looking through this battle plan that's designed for them to conquer their their enemy to, to break through the walls. We have to be conscious of the fact that what God's doing is he's ministering to us through this historical account, okay? Remember, God's always teaching. There's nothing in Scripture that's there by accident. There's nothing that's just randomly there. Everything has a specific purpose. So when we consider these instructions, we need to be, understand the fact that, guess what? God's talking to us too. Though, they're this, though these are going to be specifically for them, there's also information that you and I need to glean from this as well, because guess what? We are going to face some Jerichos in our lives, some walled-off cities. Some of them are people. Some of them are places, right? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to consider the Israelites, first of all, their objective. Then we're going to look at their assurance. Then we're going to look at their instructions. Then we're going to look at their miraculous promise that they receive. Now, as a disclaimer, understand, 
these specific instructions are being given to this specific Old Testament believers, okay? There's a problem where people misrepresent or misunderstand Scripture because what they'll do is they'll go to the Old Testament, take a Scripture or a promise that's given to a Hebrew or to a Jew for a specific time, and they'll go, well, that's for us, and they'll go ahead and use it. Well, that's where, that's where false teaching comes in. So what we understand is the fact that God, though, though these specific instructions are for them, there are concepts and ideas that we learn from them, right? What we find is this. The Bible is written not... All not written to us. Not all the Bible is written to us. There are portions written specifically to the church, no doubt about it. But it's not all written to us, but it's all written for us. Okay? So we're to learn from these concepts. Okay? Pastor Mark, if we've been through the, the keys study, one of the things he talks about, he says it's like reading somebody else's mail. Right? If, if, my, if my grandfather leaves me this letter and it's filled with my grandfather's wisdom, I can loan you that letter and say, man, my grandpa was smart. And you're like, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. And I'm leaving you $10 million. Oh, dude, when do we get the money? Right on. So if you start believing that the promise of the money is yours, there's an issue. Your job was to gain knowledge from it, but not to take the promise as it is given to you personally. And that's what scripture is about. So hopefully that helps us to kind of have a clue of what's going on. So as we look at this objective, okay, as we look at this objective, it says here in verse number one, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and None came in. So Jericho is on like lockdown, right? Like the way they do with the schools. It's on lockdown. Nobody's going out and nobody's coming in. And we, live, we hear this and we go, well, it says, why are they, so why are they afraid? Okay, it says, because of the children of Israel. Now, what do we know about Jericho? What do we know about the cities? Numbers 13, 28 tells us this. Nevertheless, the people be strong and dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Those are giants. So there's these powerful cities. Jericho is the oldest city. It's the most strengthened and fortified city. It is a fortress, right? The walls are so thick that they literally have homes built inside the walls. They're that thick. And we had a message we did, which was several months ago, which was called Spies Like Us. And what we saw in that thing is that Jericho is, in fact, scripturally a picture of the world. Okay? It's a picture of the lost world. Now, as we look at that and we understand that truth, it says... That they're afraid because of the children of Israel. Okay? So why are they scared of the Israelites? Well, Rahab, who just happens to be a resident of this city and is currently there in the city, when the spies came in and they talked to her, what happened was she shared an insight into where the people kind of were emotionally, what was going on. This is what she said in Joshua 2:10 through 11. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did under the kings, the two kings of the Amorites. That were on the other side, Jordan, Sahon, and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord, listen to this, why they're afraid. Because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So they're not really afraid or fearful of the Israelites. They are, in fact, afraid of God. That's where the root of this is. And we think about this. Have there ever been people that you've tried to talk to about the Lord? That you've ever tried to just share with them a little bit of your, of your faith? And just like Jericho, man, they are on lockdown. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to discuss it. it sometimes sometimes they'll, they'll get angry at us. Sometimes they'll have a, a negative reaction. Sometimes you'll see them just be like, something's going, man, oh, man, they just, bum, 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 bum. they fortify like Jericho, dude. They're ready to go to war. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Why are they reacting this way to me? And we've got to realize the fact that it's not because of us. 
right? They don't fear us. They don't have an issue with us. They have an issue, issue with God. So as they angrily push us away, as they wall themselves off, we've got to realize that it's always driven by fear, okay? It's always got a root in fear. Either this, down deep in their souls, they realize they're accountable to God, right? They know that they're accountable to God. They realize there's a judgment coming for all of humanity. And what they're going to do is they're either going to accept that or they're going to live in denial. And they'll try to find people and fortify people around them that will support their ideas. And they'll deny God's existence and fight to the tooth all the way, denying their accountability to God. Romans 1 is an amazing chapter. But the finish, Paul, when he writes this, he wraps it up with this in verse 32. Talking about the world. He's just given us a laundry list of issues. He says, who knowing the judgment of God, listen to this, this is talking about the world, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. People know there's accountability. People know that sin has a price. It's in their hearts. They know it. But yet they want to live as if it doesn't. It says, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Defying God with all their might, man, doing all they can to argue their case of why God is just a crutch. And guess what? We don't need him. And it's all just a fragment, a fragment or a fragment of your imagination, right? So here's this issue. They're afraid, not of us. They're afraid of God. And then there's other people. And their fear, their fear is to be hurt, right? They're afraid because they have a, a misconstrued or a, a skewed view of God, right? And what happens? You know where those things come from? religion the religion of man the rules of men people have hurt them and what they've done is they've equated that to god guys understand god is truth god is love anything you've experienced that has god's name attached to it it doesn't have truth and love in it it's a lie it's straight out of hell and unfortunately our world is full of it today it's rampant so many people that have been hurt through religion through church the sign on the side outside of our building it says a place of restoration you know what most of we restore is People that are broken because of church. People get wronged by people that claim to be Christians and live lives that are completely contrary to that. Why was I raised in a completely secular home? Because when my mom was a child, she was raised in a hypocritical environment. And she saw people that who's claimed one thing on Sunday and lived something else the rest of the week. And she said, I'm not going to introduce my kids to that lie. So we were consciously not introduced to the Lord. But because of God's grace. Right? God found a way. Man, I've done everything you can possibly imagine that was wrong. Lived a life of complete debauchery and sin, looking for a way to find happiness and contentment in my life. And guess what? Though I had a beautiful wife and I had wonderful kids, I had a hole in my heart. And at night, the night we got saved, man, the grace of God, the mercy of God, extended to somebody who deserved to bust hell wide open. Yet he said, you know what? In that while you were at sinners, while you're in the midst of your sin, I love you. That's such amazing truth. And you got to realize that same God that we know today is the same God of the Old Testament, the same love, the same desire to see humanity turned around. And what happens is people are afraid because of that accountability to the Lord, or as I said, that twisted view. And what happens so many times is the seemingly impenetrable walls of these people who have been hurt. They can be intimidating to us, right? We can meet people that have no place for God in their life. Yet God created them. And he loves them right where they are. 
and he's trying to reach them. And many times, guess what? We're the what he's going to use to reach them. Maybe not necessarily through the words we say, but many times the life that we live. Because so many people claim Christianity, but their life doesn't line up to it. And hypocrisy just adds to the fuel of this person's walls. It thickens their walls. Well, when they meet somebody who doesn't claim to be a Christian, tattoo it on their arm and wear it on their car and then cuss them out in traffic. When they meet that person who just for whatever reason has a kindness in them, an understanding in them, a forgiveness in them, a love in them. And instead of them going, oh, you said you were a Christian, they, they come to you and they say, are, are, you, are you a Christian? Because, you know, in Antioch, when they were first called Christians, you know what? It says they were first called Christians. They didn't first claim to be Christians. The reason why they were called Christians is because they were making fun of them, saying, you're like a little Christ. You look like that Jesus. That one they hung on the cross, you look like him. Well, praise the Lord, man. What a great thing. And what went from being away from them to make fun of them? They wore as a badge of honor. And they said, hey, if you see him in me, oh, praise the Lord. And so that's what's going on. God wants to use us. Use us to touch this world. So as we look at this Old Testament picture, understand, when we look at our culture today, we can see it walling itself off from God. We can see it creating all the barriers that it possibly can, that God is unimportant, that he's a figment of, the, of our imagination, that he's a thing of the past, and we need to grow past him because guess what? He is no use in this world. And as children of God, man, our job is to give the good news. Our job is to live the good news. The gospel is literally just that, the good news. Amen. So we recognize the objective, right? We recognize the objective. Now let's look at the assurance in verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. So God's assuring them that there's a victory on, on, the, on the horizon. Notice, it's not just against Jericho. It's also against, against the king and it's against the mighty men. So we look at this. This is a picture, right? When we went back to our study, Spies Like Us, one of the things we found, as we said, the king is a picture of the devil. And it's his, his forces, his wicked forces are there against us. And what we realize, the fact that in the world today, guess what? There's a spiritual battle taking place. If you don't realize that's going on, man, you're fooling yourself. There is a spiritual battle taking place. That's why the whole armor of God is so important. He says, wrestle, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Right? So there's a spiritual fight going on. And God's saying, look, you know what? Guess what? I'm going to bring the victory. Listen to this. 1 John 4, verses 3 and 4. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Here of you, you have heard that it should come. Even now, already, it is in the world. This is the first century, guys. If it was in the world then, you can guarantee it's in the world today. And it has grown. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Notice the tense that is used there. You have overcome them. They're in the midst of the fight right now. And Jesus, the Lord, is talking to them in a future sense. This has already happened. Ye have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the force that is here, yes, it's strong. And if we face against it in our flesh, we're toast here. Now, I'm just a punk, man. But we, I, I, was, I was always imagining me, I always imagine this. I always imagine going to the playground when you're like seven years old. You've got a teenage brother or a brother who's like 16. And there's a 10-year-old that's picking on you at the playground. And he's like, yeah, you little punk, you little punk. And you're like, <laughs> but then your 16-year-old brother comes up. And you're like, yeah, get him, right? And your brother like, what's going on, man? Oh, the 10-year-old's like, ah, oh, backs off and runs away, right? That's what I always visualize when I hear that. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Hey, get behind the Lord. Submit to God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. 
Doesn't say you gotta fight him. I don't have to go to battle. No, all I have to do is just resist him. I just turn my shoulder. And guess what? He will flee from me. Because guess who he fears? He fears God. Right? We submit to God, he will fight for us. Take notice of the one that's speaking in this phrase. Notice it says here in verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua. Pretty much clearing up who that messenger is. That's the Lord, the embodiment of, of, of Christ. So then we see here this, uh, another detail about the assurance, which is interesting. is against that, that past tense that I mentioned before. He says, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho. So he's saying, look, this is a foregone conclusion. Now, understand at this point in time, in this moment when Joshua was hearing this, Joshua is standing in Gilgal, a couple of miles from Jericho. They've not gotten there. They've not had anything go on. They're literally standing there, and he's going, okay. So God has pointed to the fact that, you know what? He's not bound to time like we are. He's talking about that as future sense because God's already seen it accomplished. What we have to understand about God is the fact that God can simultaneously be at any point in time all in the same moment, right? What does he say about himself in Revelation 22, 13? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. So I'm in the very, very beginning. Guess what? I'm also at the very, very end, right? In Luke 24, this is cool because check this out. When Jesus sits down with the disciples before he's going to ascend, he goes back and he tells the disciples, let me show you something, fellas. I'm going to show you myself. And that Old Testament that you guys have been learning and studying, let me show you. I'm all throughout that thing. Let me show you. I've been in your timeline before. Luke 24, 44, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, that's the first five books, and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Guess what? When you read that Old Testament, I'm all in that bad boy. I'm everywhere. I'm all throughout your timeline. And this, this, biblically, we call this omnipresence. It means everywhere in one time. And what's cool, C.S. Lewis he read a book called Mere Christianity, and he has this really awesome analogy that helps us understand. Because I'm a visual person, right? I need examples to help me understand stuff. So what he does is he gives you this, this example of God. He says, God's like an author, like an author of a book. And what happens with the author is the author creates the world, right? He creates the characters. He places them in that world. He even it sets up the events that will take place in the story. Now, the author is not bound to the story. He's not bound to any of the requirements that are there. He is completely outside of it. At any point in time, he could go back and rewrite the beginning. He could go to the end and rewrite the end. He can drop in and out all as he, all he wants to. But the characters in that story, guess what? They follow it page by page by page. And guess what? You and I are the same way. God created time for us, and it's a linear thing. For God, it's fluid. God can come in and out of time at any point in time that he chooses. So what does the Bible describe him as? When we look at this in Hebrews 12, too, it says this. Looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And every day, what does sovereign God do? Sovereign God is crafting our story. He's working through our choices, those that are good and those that are bad. As I've given you in the past, the analogy of GPS, right? When we're on our GPS and we set the destination, we're going to Domino's Pizza to pick up our pizza. But we make a wrong turn. Does it go, well, no pizza for you guys? No. What does it do? Recalculating. Recalculating. Recal- if you made a thousand wrong turns, eventually, guess what you're going to end up? You're going to end up at Domino's Pizza, right? Because it's going to continually work your bad choices to get you to the destination. Notice what God says in, uh, in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. 
God said, hey, you know what? Even though you're a knucklehead, even though you make bonehead choices on a regular basis, I'm still going to work through you. Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things together for good for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. All things together for good. That means the choices that we make. When my life, when my, my life was a mess and, and I ruined my, my marriage and my wife was ready to leave me, guess what? I made a lot of stupid choices. I did a lot of wrong things. But guess what God did? He said, you know what? Even though you're an idiot, even though you're a knucklehead, even though you've completely messed this thing up, I'm going to work in her heart. And I'm going to do things that you cannot do. Amen. And I'm going to change you from being a, muckle, a knucklehead. And I'm going to give you an awareness of who God is and who it is you're accountable to. And when you straighten yourself out, if you'll be faithful to me, guess what I'll do? I'll take what's broken and I will restore it. Amen. See? Hallelujah. That's the God we serve. And he has a plan. He has a plan. Just like us, God assures the Israelites of their coming victory. Okay? They're going to face off against this massive walled city. Understand, they just have foot soldiers, right? They don't have any equipment. They don't have any kind of things, whatever there's, you know, the movies where they throw the big stuff on the walls. Whatever that's called, I have no idea. Ladders, maybe. I don't know. They don't have anything to get inside the walls, basically. It's just a bunch of men with swords. But what we find is the fact that he's telling them, when you stand at the wall, just hold on to the confidence that I've got this. Right? I've got this. And as life throws its stuff, it's going to throw at us. I can just tell you one of the most wonderful assurances of the world as a child of God is to be able to look at whatever it is that's facing you and say, you know what? God's got this. He knows what I do not know. He even has a plan for this. And even though I don't understand it and I feel overwhelmed in the moment and I feel broken in this instance and the circumstances are saying something different than what I see and I'm intimidated, God says, you know what? Our story's already been written, guys. First, First Corinthians 15, 56 to 57. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us, giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we cannot lose. I don't care what life throws at us. We cannot lose. And that's that assurance that God brings. So we see the objective. We see the assurance, and now we listen to the instructions. Okay. Now, listen to this. This is kind of wacky. We heard it before, but I'll read it again. You shall compass the city... All ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before thee seven, seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. So here are the instructions. And I think if we put ourselves in Joshua's shoes, who's a man of war, who's led battles before, they faced against the Amalekites, he's fought before. He's waiting for this great battle plan, man. He's going, oh, man. Can't wait. Hey, it's all going to work out. Because God knows everything. It's going to be amazing. We're going to take this city down. It's going to be unreal. And he's like, okay, Lord. So, um, so we gather the army. <clears throat> we line them up. We get some priests with horns, and we get the ark. And we walk around the city. Then we go back and sleep. And we, the next five days, we do it again every day. We just walk around playing music, so we're playing a little concert for them, I guess, blowing some horns to entertain the folks in the city. Um, then on the seventh day, we got to circle seven times, uh, playing the music the whole time, and then they're going to blast the music, and then we're supposed to scream at the city. That's, that's, the, that's the plan? Okay. <laughs> What's interesting about Joshua is the fact that he doesn't bat an eye. He does not even question it. He just immediately goes, okay, okie doke, let's do it, Lord, I'm on this. Now, if it was you or I, 
we'd probably be thinking, uh, that's the plan? How exactly is that going to work, right? How many of us do that, right? How exactly yes. is this going to happen? Now, so when we see Joshua, man, he's, he, just does, he just moves forward. He just goes forward. Remember, Moses was a man of faith. He trained and discipled Joshua. Joshua is a man of faith. What does Joshua do? Joshua takes God at his word. When there were 603,550 men over the age of 20 years old that left Egypt and went into that wilderness, when they reached the promised land and they stood there only a year later, right? A year later. And that was an 11-day journey, by the way. But it took them a year. But a year later, they're standing there at at the wall and they send in those 12 spies. And the 12 spies, 10 of them come back and go, whoa, ill report, man. We'll never make it. And those people, the 603,550 went, two of them said, let's go, man. Joshua was one of them. He's like, man, we could take this. God's behind us, man. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's go. Let's do it. And the others are like, no. And everybody gets influenced by it. And guess what? They back away. And the result of that is 40 years in the wilderness. And of the 603,550 that went into the wilderness, two will survive. Joshua and Caleb, men of faith. And what God wants us to do is be men of faith, women of faith. Because what happens is the Bible, guess what? It tells us things to do. And we struggle to believe it. What we find with Joshua, his attitude is this. God says it. I believe it. I'll act on it. Let me go. I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's do this thing. But our problem is it's like we may, we may hear it, but then we don't necessarily believe it. And then we certainly don't act on it. So this knowledge comes in. God says, hey, you know what? I've got something for you to do, and we have to choose. Now, what happens? Why do we struggle to believe God? Is it because over his age he's gotten senile and he's forgotten how to keep his promises? No. Has God just changed his ways and no longer faithful? No. God's faithful. The problem's not God. The problem's problem's us. Hebrews 13, 8 says this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3, 6 says this. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He says, look, I have the same nature in the very beginning as I do today. Throughout time, God's character has not changed. So it's not God, man. It's, it's us. Our problem is that we base our decisions, our actions and reactions upon our emotions. They rule us. As I've told you years, almost five years now, your emotions are wonderful passengers in life. But they should never be the drivers. The spirit is what leads us. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Jesus, take the wheel. I can't sing, but <laughs> that's the idea, right? The Lord should be steering. He should be driving us. We don't. We should not. We should be in the back seat, if anything, or in the trunk. Lord, just take us and go me where, take me where you need me to go. But what we find is this is an emotional decision. Guess what? That's the world's answer. That's always the world response. The world responds by following emotion. Look at the picture. Jericho. They're making a purely emotional decision. And what's the result? They will wall themselves off to God. The very God that they have heard is the God. The God over earth and heaven. They go, look, we believe he's the real God. But guess what? Because of our emotions, we will not respond in kind. We will not open our hearts to him. But in contrast, we have Joshua. What does Joshua do? Joshua makes a a purely faith-based decision. And he takes these strange instructions, and instead of questioning them or doubting them, he just goes, okay, Lord, let's do it. 
And what happens with you and I is the fact that as God gives us strange instructions that don't line up with the way the world thinks, because many times we think like the world, we struggle, right? We struggle to take something that God tells us and apply it because we look at it through a world filter. And what happens here, Matthew 5, listen to this, 43 and 44. Ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. We're like, yep, that sounds just right, just right. Verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That's awful, man. Despitefully use you, that's about as bad as it gets. And persecute you, persecuting, you've not done anything wrong. They're literally torturing you. The world says if somebody hits you, hit them back twice as hard. How many were taught that as a child? Man, go to school, they hit you, you go back and you hit them. They'll, they'll never forget who hit them this time. You just lay them out, buddy. Right? That's what I was told. That's the way I lived my life. I was in all these fights and all this stupidity as a kid. And I understand it's just because that's all I knew. But God's way is completely different. God says love them because guess what? If you go and strike them, all you're doing is just creating a stronger enemy, somebody who hates your guts. But if you'll love them, guess what will happen? If they're ever going to see me, it'll be through the way that you respond. Because it's that unusual response that will make them go, what is different there? They should hit me, but why are they being kind to me? Why are they being forgiving? Why are they being understanding it's because they need to see Jesus in us, right? That's when we become a Christian. When that person who hit us might go, that guy's got to be a Christian. Otherwise, he'd have knocked me out. I don't understand. He brought me lunch today? That does not make any sense at all. Completely contrary, right? Strange instructions. We hear it and we go, no. But that's God's plan. Then listen to this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Or just 3, 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. Okay. We read that and we go, okay, let's roll off our tongue. But listen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and listen to this last part, and lean not unto thine own understanding. What he's saying is, guess what? The world tells you, if you're going to succeed in this world, that you're going to believe in yourself. If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? That's a moniker we hear all the time. It's all about us. But the Lord tells us, no, put your faith and trust in me and my word, and I need you to deny yourself don't indulge yourself don't follow yourself deny yourself second corinthians 5 7 strange instructions walk by faith and not by sight Ooh, that doesn't match up with what we go by we see things we make our decisions based on what we see right seeing is believing that's the what we're told seeing is believing yet god says no that's not the way i want you to function i want you to function by faith trust in my character trust in my word above your experiences what you experience, I want you to, be, to ignore that and follow what I've told you. Trust me. I got a cool appearance. I'm going to show you this for Peter. Okay, Peter, who was at the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, that's when Jesus peels back the flesh and reveals himself in his Shekinah glory form. And the light pours out. And Peter, they're like, whoa, we got to build some, some altars here. And God comes out and it's like, Peter, shut up, basically. And he says, <laughs> just be quiet. And, and God speaks, right? And in that moment, man, Peter's just overwhelmed by this experience. He's like, whoa. Listen to what he says about that. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, look, I'm not telling you something that I heard. I'm telling you something that I experienced. He says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, look, I saw it with my own eyes. For, we, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. From heaven, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when you were with him in the holy mount. Peter says, look, 
Not only was I there, not only did I see what I saw, but I know what I heard. I am an eyewitness to what I saw. So he says, I have no doubt of what I saw. But listen, listen to what he says next. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He says, there's something even more certain than what I saw. There's something more sure than what I saw. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Listen, pay attention. As unto a light that shineth in the dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He says, until the Lord's return, we are to trust in God's word even over what we personally experience. But guess what? Our emotions, our experiences can trick us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I swear you said that. I know you did. I didn't say, oh, yeah, I heard it. I know I did. Man, I'm, I'm you know. And then they play back a recording and you're like, what sure sound like you said that. I'm just telling you. Did. <laughs> right? Yeah. We can be sure we're ready to go to war, man. And it isn't even what happened. And Peter's saying, look, don't get caught up in what you're experiencing. Follow my word. There's a more sure word of prophecy. Listen to what he says next. Knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is of only of any private interpretation. Okay? When we read the word of God, we don't determine if the word of God is true based upon our personal experience. Many people go to Bible studies, and this is not the way. If you go to Bible studies like this, I highly recommend you to get out. You know what that verse means to me? Right? They read it. Oh, you know what that's saying to me? Hey, that's private interpretation. I'm adapting the word of God to my personal experience, and I'm determining what it's saying. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible defines itself, spiritual things, with spiritual things. We use scripture to reinforce scripture. You want to know what somebody's defined by? Go to the word of God, and guess what? It'll define it for you. God's word is designed that way. The entire thing is self-fulfilling. It works in that respect. That's why that whole word, private interpretation, that's in me interpreting it based upon what I've experienced. But the Holy Spirit, listen to this, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Didn't come from people. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God defines his word. He instructs us through his word. We don't need to reason it out. We don't need to evaluate whether it's the best course of action. We just do it. We trust the Lord in those instances and we just do it. And I'm telling you, those people that will do that can see amazing, miraculous results. We see it in Joshua. And Joshua just happens to be the Hebrew spelling of the name Jesus, who happens to be the example that we're to follow. All of these pictures in Scripture are here to help us fulfill what God's called us to be. So if you consider their objective, their assurance, their instructions, and now let's consider the miraculous promise. We'll wrap it up. So on the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up into every, every man straight before him. So the Lord's instructions wrap up here with this miraculous event. This thing takes place. I'm like, wow. All they need to do is be faithful. Do what I tell you. Fulfill the, the, the command. And the massive walls of Jericho will come falling down. It's not logical. It doesn't make reasonable sense. Right? We want to reason it out. But bottom, notice that God references as a fact. This will happen. You do what I tell you to do, and this will happen. Their job is just to be faithful. That's what he's asking of them. Leave the results up to God. 
So many times we can't keep our fingers out of the pie or the cake or whatever. We cannot help from getting our hands and feet into the situation, trying to handle it and do it ourselves. Instead of trusting the Lord and doing it his way, we do it our way. And then we're like, why didn't it work out? I don't understand. It should have gone this way. Understand, sometimes things don't go the way that we want, and that's God's plan. Sometimes we pray for something, we want something to happen, it does not happen. How many of us have ever had that where you prayed for something, you thought it should go one way, and it didn't go your way, but later on in life, you look back on it and go, man, if it had gone that other way, I would have really been in a, in a pickle. Yeah, man, good thing I trusted God in that situation, or good thing he told me no, right? Because there's three answers to prayer. There's yes, there's no, and there's wait. Wait is thanks. Yes and no, we're okay. We can pretty much accept that, but the wait one, man, Wait. The Bible says tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. Tribulation is hard to wait. So he says be patient in the midst of tribulation. And if you have patience in tribulation, guess what? I'll give you the experience to realize that I'm faithful. Amen. And guess what you'll have after that? Amen. Hope. Hope. Tribulation is the gateway to hope. Listen, the job is to be faithful. That's what God's requirement is. Right? We're stewards of God. That's how God references us. And what does it say about stewards in 1 Corinthians 4.2? Moreover, it is required in stewards... That a man be found faithful. That's the requirement, right? When we planted this church, all Christine and I knew was this. Jobs, our job is to be faithful. The fruitful aspect of this ministry is completely up to God. Right. He picked the building. He did everything he did. We're just going to show up and do exactly what he asks of us and watch him do the rest. And that's our job. If we'll faithfully do our job, God will do things that we just don't think are possible. As I was speaking to these folks before the service, the, the miraculous things that God did in providing this building, it didn't make any sense. It did not line up. It did not line up with what reality should say. But we just said, hey, you know what? We'll just do what God says and let him worry about the details. And what happens to us is this life throws things at us. Our problem is that we second-guess God. We know what we should do. But many times we struggle to do it. The, mirac- the, the result of faithfulness is miraculous results. And so as God is giving these instructions, he's promising the impossible is going to take place. And can I tell you, man... The same promises are true today. If we'll be faithful, God will do things that we just don't even think are possible. How many of us are a living testament of that truth? We've seen God do things in our life and we go, man, this should not have happened. Yet God did a miraculous thing in my life. I can look back and say, there's my experience. But there's a more sure word than our experience, isn't there? There's the word of God. God's word. Emotionally. Understand, Jericho. For us, it can be a Jericho. Our emotions. The walls that can show up in our hearts and in our lives because we feel broken or angry or frustrated or sad. We can feel lost as born-again believers of God. We can feel lost and separated from God because of the things that we have allowed to have consuming control over us. And in those moments where we feel broken, as God says, look, just call on me. Cast your care upon me in supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Just call out to him. And what does he do? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Your hearts and minds. So we're in this moment of tribulation and overwhelmed by our emotions. And God says, hey, you know what? If you'll give it all to me, guess what I'll do? I'm going to put a peace on you that you will not even imagine. You won't even be able to explain it to anybody. And it can happen just like that. Who's ever been someplace where you felt broken and overwhelmed and you've called out to the Lord and you just felt that presence, man? Just came like a comforting blanket on a cold night, man. It wrapped around your shoulders and you were like... I'm not alone. Amen. Man, I felt like I was alone, but I oh, you're there. You're there. I feel your touch. Thank you, Lord. We can go from utter, display, utter despair to complete peace in an instance. What if it's our sin? What if that's our Jericho? Sin has infiltrated its way, its way into, his, into our life. And God says this, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18. 
Wherefore, come up from among them and be ye separate. Get out of that, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And when you do that, guess what? And I will receive you. Listen to the promise. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says, while you're in the midst of your sin, if you will turn from that sin and you will come to me, guess what I will do? I will gather you up in my arm. I will set you on my knee. I will brush the tears from your eyes. And I'll say, I love you. I love you. And if we'll do that, listen, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, what does it require of us? Faithfulness. Having, therefore, these promises, what he just said, he said, look, I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Listen, because we want this from ourselves, he says, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Here's the key. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. What he's saying is that's faithfulness. Be faithful to God. He wants you to be holy. People seek after happiness, but that's not where you find happiness. Happiness is happenstance. It's what comes into your life. Good day, bad day. Good day, bad day. Holiness. The byproduct of holiness is happiness. We walk in righteousness with God, man. The breastplate of righteousness protects our, our heart. God does all these miraculous things because he loves us. Man, he loves us. More than we can possibly imagine. He loves us as his children, but guess what? He loves the lost world too. He loves everybody. He loves the entire world. John 3.16. Most searched verse in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice it says whosoever. He's not picking and choosing. Anybody. If we'll turn to him, man, he will gather us up in his arms. And you see, it's his love for the sinner and his hatred of sin that put him on the cross. He loved us in the midst of our struggles because the impossible can only be done through his death, burial, and resurrection. John 3, 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Lamb of God that cometh to take away the sins of the world. God's here to restore humanity. So the Israelites are given their objective. It's Jericho. Guess what? Ours is the world. It's clear. That's our objective. Mark 16, 15 says this, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay? What's Joshua to do? Listen to the, look at the picture that's going on here. Joshua, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua is to take the ark. They're to march to Jericho. They're to circle Jericho. They're to take the ark to the world. You and I being led by our Jesus, our Joshua. We're to take the ark. We know from our study of the book of Exodus that the ark is a picture of the word of God. It contains the Ten Commandments. It has the mercy seat that sets upon it that takes the blood of the sacrifice. It's a picture of the blood. It's a picture of the book. We're supposed to take the gospel to the world. And in doing so, God will do the impossible. Notice it's not what they do. It's their faithfulness when they arrive that will bring the victory. That's what God's telling us. I need you to take the word, take the blood, take the gospel to this world. And most certainly, we are to reach the world. And I know we go, oh, reach the world, Ooh, that's kind of a big place. I don't know how to do that exactly. How do you do that individually? I'm not sure. But listen, it's the world, it's our country, it's our, it's our state, it's our city, it's our, our neighborhood, it's our work, it's our school, it's our children, our own homes. How do you, I always told my kid this when they would have a big project in school. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you reach the world? One person at a time. Let your life speak. Let your mouth speak. 
And listen, the people in your family, your friends, there's a good chance they'll have their defenses up. Good thing they'll probably have their walls built. But guess what? God can break through. Just consider how many of us at one point in time were at Jericho. Our walls were fortified. We were ready to defend against God. The gospel, the love of God got through to our hearts. Right? And before we knew it, didn't make any sense. The walls came a-tumbling down. The night we got saved, I didn't want to hear about God. I wasn't looking for God. But when God's spirit started speaking to my heart, I didn't doubt what I was hearing. I, in the beginning, I was questioning things. But man, as God spoke, I went from sitting like this to sitting like this to being on my knees a few minutes later, calling out to God, going down broken and standing up restored. Man, God turned our whole life around. And I'm just telling you, not because we were special, but because God loved us just like he loves everybody else. And the walls were there, man. I'm not telling you. When I sat down, I sat with my arms crossed and I said, prove yourself to me, Bible guy. And I'm telling you what, when the truth speaks, it resonates in our hearts. Whether we want to receive it or not. There might be some of you guys sitting listening today and you're going, you know what? Watching online, you're watching this recorded. Man, you may have your walls up. But I'm just telling you, what I am telling you is the truth. God loves you. No matter what you're in, no matter what you've done, no matter how broken you may be, God is ready, willing, and able to restore you and make you into a vessel that he can use for his glory. That's why we're on this earth. This life is not about us seeking, finding what it is that we want out of life. This life is about our life reaching someone else. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When we realize that our purpose is not about us and it's about the world and God starts to use our life for what it was purposed for, you have a sense of fulfillment that you never dreamed possible. Why am I a pastor today? Because when God introduced that to me, I could not let it go. Amen. I knew that was the purpose of my life. And I pray you'll do the same for you. The world's going to give you all kinds of reasons. Not to speak. It's going to be intimidating. There'll be people you've talked to, man, and their walls will be thick. And you'll look up and see archers all over the top. And big old things with flaming balls to fire at you. Remember Lord of the Rings? All that stuff is flying off that mountain. You're going to look at that and go, oh, man. But God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Our world is full of Jerichos. They're all around us. They may be in our own homes. God has a plan to reach them. Guess what? It's us. The question is, will we listen to this call to action and speak for God? Will we stand up and do what's right? Will we project truth in our life? Will Will we reflect Christ when we preach the truth. People think preachers are just people like me. No. To preach is to share the gospel. That's what it is. Biblically, all of us. We tell people in our church, every member a minister. You're supposed to minister to your community. Minister to your family. Minister. Be a preacher. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. And I'm almost done. This time I really am almost done. 10, 14 and 15. 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Man, if we're faithfully to do our job, God will do the impossible. The question is, will we allow our doubts and personal fears to keep us silent? Or will we listen? Will we respond like, Jer- like, like Joshua and realize that our Jericho is all around us and that God expects us to reach them? We know what we're to do, right? We know what our mission is. We know what our objective is. We've heard God's assurance. We've heard God's plan, his instructions. And we've heard his miraculous promise. The question is, will we be faithful in following God's battle plan? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, for the gift of the word of God. Thank you for the incredible truths you've shown us today. And I do pray that, Lord, if no one else received anything from today, that, Lord, I know you have spoken to me. And I do thank you so much for that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today saying, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm dealing with some issues in my life. I'm struggling. I know I'm in a fight. But Lord, I want to do better. I want to speak the truth. I want to live a life that glorifies God. If that's you and you say, look, pray for me today, Lord. Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me that God will do something in my life. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. I see that hand. Anybody? Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? I, you know, but Lord, I want to do more. I know I'm not doing as much as I could. Amen. I see that. I see that. Amen. I'll pray for you. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, pray for me because I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, I understand what that feels like. 20 years ago when someone asked me if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven, I looked in my heart and I said, boy, I hope so. Not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I think I'm a decent person. But for me, I knew nothing about God. I only knew what the cartoons showed you. Bad guys got horns and went to hell. Good guys got wings and went to heaven. That's all I knew. So when I was asked that question, I said, I don't know. And thank God he took the time to share with me who Christ really was. The fact that I was lost because of my sin, not because I was worse than anybody else, but because sin has a penalty. And as God's penalty for my sin was an eternity in hell. And that reality wasn't because God hated me. In fact, he loved me in that instance. And he'd given me a way out. He had set a path, a crystal clear path. He had built a bridge to heaven with two pieces of wood. And the love that that pinned him to that cross, that kept him on that cross, was a love he had for me. The Bible says no greater love than this than a man laid in his life for his friend. And it was because of that love. He said if Jesus was here to receive you right now, which he is, and he's willing to receive you exactly as you are, and he is, would you receive him, David? And I said, I would. And what I want to know this, if you need me to pray for you, for God to do a work in your life, that you could receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as well. Just say, look, pray for me, Pastor, that God will do a work in my life. Pray for me that I might receive that gift of God. Pray for me. Just lift your hand real quick and put it back down. I'm not going to call you out. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for this time that you've given us. And Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, those that are struggling, those that want to take a step to, Lord, do greater works for you, Lord, those that want to get out of the, uh, the fear, maybe, of being silent maybe not living the life that they should. I do pray that you'll strengthen my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they might surrender their will, not walk by their emotions, but walk by their faith and follow, follow the instructions of God that we might see miraculous power and work done. And for those that maybe don't know they're saved, 
I'm going to give you an opportunity if you're online and you say, look, you know what? I don't know how to receive Christ. I didn't know either. Someone helped me that night. I'm going to help you right now. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, understand this is not a magic prayer. There's no ceremony to this. This is a broken heart calling out to God. And Jesus Christ saw you from the past. He looked into the future and he saw your moment right now. And he's ready to receive you as we speak. He's paid for the price for your sins. He's willing for you to receive it. And as he reaches out to you, all you have to do is choose to respond. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to pray and receive Christ, pray this prayer in your heart and mind. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words of the prayer. Don't get caught up in that. If you don't mean it, don't say it because it will do nothing for you. But if your heart says, I know I'm ready, this is the gateway. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for all that I've done. I know that I've broken your heart and my family's and people that love me. And I'm sorry. I come today humble before you. And I know I need you in my heart and life. I believe that you died on the cross to pay my sin debt. And I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart come into my life and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.